You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land Lakes podcast. Um, we're once again tele- telephoning, teleconferencing in. Matt, where are you at in the world? This week, I am coming from Virginia, reporting from, let's say, the old stomping grounds. Um, been, been fortunate enough to work with some new landowners uh, to us this week. And then kind of doing an, another re, uh, revisit to a site that had been recently worked and planned, put together. Um, so it's cool to see new plans starting and that, that process of foundation being built for future stuff. And then also seeing um, the groundwork being laid as a plan is getting started. So good, good, uh, a lot of good stuff honestly happening in the state of Virginia, which is cool to see from a habitat standpoint it's got so much to offer but we've got people from eastern to western north and south and and all of them are really go-getters and i I like that i like seeing that so lots of bright bright futures ahead here for us yeah i you know i heard and i was talking to a client um just this week just a few days ago and uh he made a comment he goes He's doing something that that uh, I'm kind of interested in. That's not habitat minded. It's kind of farm uh, farm business minded. And I was kind of picking his brain on it. And um, he said, "Call me anytime. I'll, I'll tell you everything I know." He goes, "You, I owe you more than you'll ever know." And I kind of looked at him. He goes, and, "And and and it kind of I hit I get that comment from clients that we work with about how um, happy they are." Not just in the work laid out, but ultimately the change of perspective that we gave them mm-hmm. um, from from just in being able to enjoy their farm more year round, um, seeing the big picture, uh, and allowing habitat management and all the practices to click to where they're no longer doing st- something hoping that it works or going, well, I don't know if this will work or not. They're doing stuff knowing the purpose of it, knowing why they're doing it, the improvements that are being made, and ultimately how beneficial it is to the wildlife and, and ultimately the landscape that they're managing. Well, we're, we're tying together so many things that are that people are passionate around. People are passionate about just having the ability to, to be an 
a landowner themselves, right? Call themselves a landowner. Then are passionate about being a hunter. Yeah. But but when you can connect those dots and take it further and say, I'm not only a hunter and a landowner, I'm a land manager, habitat manager, conservationist. Um, I am all these things now because I have this understanding of what's happening on the land and how that what's happening on the land improves my hunting. It's like it it's an eat, sleep, breathe kind of passion um, that really is, is fueled year round. And so that's what's so cool about it is um, I want to say it's life changing, but it's to me, I, I, I feel like I don't want to put words in, let's say, client's mouth, but it's almost life giving or life life fulfilling because there's there's so much uh, so much to be done, right? Yeah. And so much to partake in. It's not just a well. I just I just visit that property October and November and December. Yep. yep. No, I I can make this thing full full circle here. Yeah, and that's kind of this week's topic is about how how quickly can they get there? Uh, yeah. And how you know when when we're talking about the time frame, because that's one of the common questions I get from landowners like, okay, I do all this work. How quickly am I going to see the changes? How quickly am I going to see the results? First, we have to define the results, but then it's, it's given them that timetable of going, okay, you know, this is, this is what you can expect. And usually they're set back on their heels. Like I didn't expect it to change that quickly. Um, yeah. and so I'm, I'm excited to talk about that, uh, this on, on this podcast and, uh, one thing I, you know, jumping back to what you just said is, man, it's just like life giving because I, I've been, we've been a little quiet on social media lately. We've been traveling like crazy. Um, you were in Virginia. I was in New York, um, Eastern Missouri. Um, we leave for Iowa and Northern Missouri this week. Um, yep. where else were you just recently? I forget. Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right. And I was, I was Iowa as well. Um, so yeah. we've been just going like crazy and trying to write reports, but we both have had our side projects. Um, oh, yeah. you and your house, by yep. the way, I got those backpack sprayers, did a lot of research and found, oh, found the one okay. that we are going to settle on. So we'll update nice. people as, as we test them out even more. But, uh, we ended up going with a steel backpack sprayer. I said yep. backpack blower, I think, first, but backpack sprayer um, for a lot of reasons. But uh, talking to talking to various people who are around contract crews who do spraying, and they all run the steel one. So I'm like, eh, that probably says a lot. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's something that I just picked up. But um, you've been working on your house, and the reason I brought that up is because it's house and land, and you've got some invasives that you're trying to deal with with herbicide Correct. here soon. So... Um, side note that, and then also I've been working on a fencing project where we've got like four and a half miles of fence and ultimately it's, I guess, nine miles of fence cause it's double strand. So we're stretching out nine miles of fence. Um, and I mean, I'm running like crazy trying to get this done. Um, Chad, my dad, we've all been putting in posts and putting in concrete and putting in gravel and tamping and. I'm so sick of fence posts, corner posts, and line posts. I'm just sick of it. But 
Um, we're running in line, and it, and I, the whole time I'm doing it, I'm just smiling because I know how impactful it's going to be. I mean, I, Matt, I think you'd agree that the family farm, one of the biggest negatives we've had for, for a long, long time is the fact that the cows can get into the woods in a, in, yes. in, in a lot of, you know, not all the woods. Um, there's there's certain woods that get excluded and have been excluded, but ultimately there's big chunks that occasional cattle will be in there. and um, But then there's a lot of little places that, that they're always in and we're like, once we get them out of that, that could be huge. And so uh, with some TSI, keeping the cows out, um, I'm just so excited. So it's one of those things where it's like I'm incorporating agriculture, the business side, trying to use cattle to make money, and then ultimately um, improve habitat for bobwhite quail and other species, more disturbance on the landscape. And, I mean, it's just so fulfilling to see I'm just I'm right there. I can taste it. I can just see the I can see the results and how quickly uh, we're going to see them change from from this year to next year based on cattle currently to no cattle uh, in parts of the farm in the next in in years to come. Yeah, and I think we you know kind of talked about it the last couple couple weeks here. I'm I'm sitting here kind of just <clears throat> drooling at the opportunity to um, transform or begin transforming, let's say 35 acres. And I'm sitting here looking at it saying, I need to really document what it is that it's starting at first. Like I need to do a good job because I know when it's done, it's not going to look anything like it. And we, we want to be able to share those things with you. So some of the pictures that um, I think will be a part of this podcast and you can find on social media um, of this transformation that we're going to mention probably a lot of in the podcast um it tells this incredible story and it it gives a timeline of just how amazing the work you know like what what's yielded thus far in, in short into a growing season and so like i'm i'm i was reminded actually by clients this weekend hey make sure you document um and and tell us what's going on but like we would really love to learn from that and then this prime example today too is like, now we've got to take time to slow and 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 document what's happening because when it's changed, it's totally changed, and and most times that change in response is much faster than people really think is even possible. Yep, the yep. plants are ready, <laughs> the seed bank is ready to be different. We just need to give it the opportunity to do so. Yeah, and, they're just and laying there and I, saying, "You say jump, and I'll, you say how high, and I'll start jumping." Kind of thing. Like yeah, they're just waiting yeah. for the orders. And most of the time, we sit there and say, oh, "Sorry, um, I don't I, know what to know. do, so I'm not doing anything." Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there, there's there's a lot of projects. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of work going on. Um, but we're going to continue to keep progressing and, and trying to share everything more with you guys, um, not just in the podcast form, but uh, there's going to be a lot of lessons, Adam, that you guys are going to, you and Chad are going to be able to share from literally just what putting up four miles of fence and, and, and blocking off the woods and rotating cows much more um, 
in a, in a managed situation, what that's going to do from a wildlife, from a legume standpoint and pastures, like it, there's just so many positives that I know, you know, we know is going to happen. The question is just how fast. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty quick. Yep. Totally. I think it's going to happen. You know, certain woods I think are going to have to have some thinning done so they get more light. Yes. But ultimately, totally. I think we're going to see changes next year, next growing season. Heck, we'll probably see changes because I'm going to finish it this month. So there'll still be a whole growing season or a ha- last half of the growing season without cows in certain places. So it'll be interesting to see really what, what happens. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and and so you know, keeping in line with how quickly things can can change, um, we're going to do an update on one of our projects, one of our big projects that we've talked about a lot this this uh, this spring, uh, a little bit this winter was our glade restoration project um, on on the property that Chad and I purchased, um, and you know it was a about a four acre glade restoration. We ended up cutting out about five and a half acres. Uh, and the actual glade was about three and a half. Um, so we kind of did woodland restoration uh, uh, kind of outside of that, almost like feathering, if, if you want to say that, if it's you want to use that term. a gradual transition from yeah. glade into a more forest north slope, yeah. I would say. Yeah, so um, this is one of those things where, okay, how quickly can you restore glade? Well, it depends on how hard you want to work. So three and a half acres, we cut the cedars and we cut the like hackberries and maples and any other softwood trees. Basically, we left the only tree species we left standing were chinkapin oaks and a few red oaks that were scattered around in pockets where it's probably a little more moist than than uh, most of the glade because it's a west facing slope. And so in December, you would have went in there and you'd seen eastern red cedar chocked full of areas, lots of hackberrying areas. Um, it just dominated by eastern red cedar. With a few pockets, decent areas that were opened up where you saw really diverse uh, plant communities, hence being a glade. Um, and then January we started cutting, and by March, uh, actually by February, we had all the trees cut. And we burned in in March, and... So those cedar tops still had plenty of needles, and there's a few that didn't get burned up that you can see in some of these pictures. Probably one of the uh, pictures from our uh, that we'll share on social media over the next coming weeks, you'll be able to see that kind of the changes um, that have occurred, and you'll see those skeletons. But ultimately, because the cedar still had their needles, when we burned it, it was a raging inferno, but we consumed a large majority of the skeletons. So we don't have that kind of a ton of that tripping hazard if you were to go out through through the glade um, right now, like you, you know, like you might have happen if we let the cedars dry for two years and then burn it, we would have a lot worse cedar skeletons to uh, try to traverse through. Um, so ultimately, what we have created is one of the best brood rearing probably the best brood rearing habitat we have on the whole farm after through this whole project. So, so what is it? Seven months ago, six months ago, December, it would have been very poor brood rearing habitat. It might've been okay nesting. 
um, because it was a little, you know, there was pockets of pretty good grass and forbs and some shrubs mixed in. It would have been okay nesting, but the the broodering habitat wasn't great because there just wasn't a lot of uh, disturbance or bare ground, young herbaceous plants um, growing. It was just kind of rank and cedar skeletons, native grass, and uh, just a, a, a landscape that lacked disturbance. So when we cut the first two months of the year and then burned the third month of the year, it might have been early April. I can't remember time frame, but I think it was late March. It uh, was it was late March. So when we burned it, now we're, uh, what, April, May, and, and June, so two and a half months in. Um, two and a half months in a response, and it is just, I mean, Matt, you tell me. When you look at those pictures, brood rearing habitat is phenomenal. 10 out of 10, my yeah. opinion. I mean, one, for, for various reasons that make everything quality brood rearing is, is mobility. <laughs> so there's bare ground, there's overhead cover, and there is a rich diversity of plants. You've got lots of flowering plants, but you've got some grasses. And then you also have just other broad leaves um, that are more of that protection. But there's so much. And, and we have videos that, that Chainsaw Chad took um supplied us with that is just unreal in the amount of butterflies that are flying around so so if if we can visually see well how many did you count adam in that one video so there's one video of a whole bunch of ozark cone flower or yellow cone flower depends on who you talk yep. to but it's a it's it's an echinacea plant it's pretty limited it's not widespread but it's just yellow with a big brown um seed head um but there's a, a video that's I don't I don't know how many how many plants there are blooming more than I've ever seen on that glade, and there's at least sixteen to twenty butterflies just in a little five five yard circle, um, yeah, flying around on that yellow uh, yellow coneflower coneflower Ozark coneflower, um, and then Chad also counted six different plants of Baldwin's milk vine, which is kind of mm-hmm. rare. Um, and so, you know, I, it's just exciting stuff to think, my goodness, that changed so fast. Yeah, and, and some of these plant species, like you mentioned earlier, were, were present already. Absolutely. But not nearly to the degree and the amount of percent coverage of this entire five-acre site that was treated with mechanical means initially, phase one, and then phase two, fire, um, it, it it has only spread and will continue to spread out from let's say the origin or that's the hot spots that were not completely choked out by cedar. And yeah. so those pictures, you know, you can clearly see what was open in the past, and then that transition of of what was a lot of heavy cedar or heavy uh, forested canopy that's now cut. Those areas aren't as green or developed, but they will be, and they're coming on. Like yeah. we, we're seeing, let's just say that the amount of bare ground is higher in those areas. Um, but by the end of the growing season, I don't anticipate us really being able to see that much of a difference. It just takes a little bit of time for those plants and that seed bank or the the root stock from some of these seeds, or excuse me, from some of these plants to actually emerge. It's like you got to wake up the beast a little bit. Like they yeah. can't just pop right out. Eight, um, especially things that are coming from a seed bank 
they have to germinate and and take but these perennials that already have the the root system and and um plant growth that was already coming that was visual from years past those things are rocking and rolling so i mean i think that some of those varieties of plants we're going to see obviously more of them we're also going to see uh, like a higher height out of many of them they weren't yeah. maxed out because there was it was partial sunlight right it was only fractional throughout the day but now it's like you might see little blue stem let's say last year or years in the past that were two foot tall when in reality they can get four and a half i think yeah. we'll see that or a lot we'll more dense more yeah totally yeah totally and just looking at some of the pictures um man i'm excited to share some of these but like one of these pictures I'm looking and I can see rough blazing star. I know it's rough blazing star because that's what's there uh, in past years, but I can see sprigs of that everywhere coming mm-hmm. on strong. I can see lead plant coming up. Yep. Um, there is uh obedient plant. You obedient plant. Yep. And then Missouri evening primrose is there. Yep. Uh, I mean, just so many beautiful blooms. Did you, did you mention lead plant? Yes, I did. Yep, yep. And then, um, of course, I know that Indian paintbrush is on this glade. Um, I mean, it's just there's so much that's blooming, and I mean, this is the kind Still of stuff that is well. we're 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 really killing a lot of birds with one stone, from the sense of great brood rearing cover. A lot of those stumps that we cut, some of them we left untreated, so. The deer are just hammering that young. It's basically a mineral stump, like MSU calls uh, calls it. I guess coined that phrase. Um, and and so you've got great deer forage, great brood rearing habitat, and even a few of these pockets look pretty good for nesting habitat because um, the fire didn't quite get as rank, and so there's some denser vegetation. Um, and then, you know, you've got the aesthetic standpoint from just the beautiful flowers and the diversity. I'm sure the birds are doing phenomenal there. Um, we're talking about having more uh, vegetation, so there's more water being infiltrated into the soil profile through this. It's just so many things that we're winning because of this. And, you know, even as deer hunters looking at this, I'm going, you know, this is phenomenal. Um, but that's not my sales pitch if I'm trying to bring in more people into habitat management because this is one that I can talk to a lot of groups or who probably aren't even hunters and say this is what we're doing and they're going to get excited about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, there's such a wide-reaching um, net that can be cast that, that this type of habitat work uh, or just, just land management work, we wouldn't call it wildlife management work, just land management work gets people excited um, because you, you, you cannot argue with the results and the results were fast. And, um, this is, this is where we're always going back and talking about why it's important to have a plan, why it's important to take action, uh, at certain times of the year. And this site again, December looked nothing like this. And then they went through the phase one and follow up phase two, the maintenance phase. And, um, Wow the result is is awesome so when there's execution um was it proper proper planning something whatever prepares for good execution essentially is is what it is gotta have a plan you gotta be able to execute and you can everyone 
this is this is not a this is not a product of um well we know what we're doing we created this no this is a product of cut cut with chainsaws add sunlight and burn it and and this is a product of the site and and managing the site for what it should naturally be and so working with creation not against it and then just letting nature do what it does so so literally we were well i shouldn't say we because i didn't do it but you guys cut and you essentially were a labor force right it's it's not like you took hard critical thinking to make all of this happen you literally were cutting cedars and hardwoods and then the burning yes that takes some more strategy and and whatnot but it's not it's not like to get this amazing transformation um we had to have let's say i'm trying to think a, a doctorate to accomplish this no and and the other thing is we didn't go buy all this seed like this is just all in the seed bed. We didn't go yes. and fertilize this. We basically cut and burned. And so it's it goes with what I say kind of joking but serious is cut, burn, repeat, cut, burn, repeat, cut, burn, repeat. Like that's just kind of a, a, a really good practice to say find the junk, cut it, and burn. Find more junk, cut it, and burn. Find more find, junk, find cut it, burn it. Place. Find what's out of place in the system or what's inferior, or what's too high of comp, uh, you know, composition in this yeah. woodland or this savanna or, or or in this forest, cut it, remove it, get rid of it, and then follow up with fire. And a lot of times you're going to have that that wonderful response. But you know, this this too is so there. There might be someone out there who's saying, "Well, hey, I cut, I, I did a timber thinning, and I'm not getting." that much vegetative response um, that you guys are and I cut and I burn. Well, no, right. That would be an apples to oranges comparison. You can't compare a glade, which is no trees or very, very few scattered trees. So it gets way more sunlight than most timber stands that are simply thinned or had TSI. You, you, you can't expect result, you know, the results from this site, to be accomplished there um, because it's just not the same practice and you're not getting nearly the same amount of sunlight or energy into that exact same amount of acres. But you can still see responses in the same amount of time. Yeah. It's just not going to be to the same degree. Yeah. And that's where I kind of want to roll into this for the latter part of this podcast is talking about some of the major practices that we recommend and overall time frame and how quickly you can see wildlife using it and ultimately see it with your own two eyes of going, wow, that changed so fast. Um, I think one of the, let's kick off with one of the main ones that we talk a lot about old field management. Um, yeah. Old field management being one of our favorites, if, if possible um, to be really kind of uh it fits a lot of things for a lot of species. And so uh, in certain areas, now not, you know, you go down south and old field management's pretty limited, uh, depending on the property. Um, 
but really, I look at Oldfield Management down south as being that that pine that clear cut uh, before the pines really get rank. Uh, and a lot of the properties I've worked down there is really a lot of herbaceous plants, a lot of annual weeds uh, with some mixed shrubs, mixed perennials, but mainly the base is annual weeds or annual herbaceous plants um, following up a major disturbance. And how many times do we roll onto a property somewhere in the Midwest, old cattle farm mat, and you see an open area, it's not timber, and it's not food plot, and it's not native prairie, and it's got a base of some sort of cool season grass. It happens a lot, and yes. people ask us, well, if I spray it, how quickly am I going to see the changes? There's so many variables, so I'm going to lay out, like, ideally, you're spraying that in the spring. Well, ideally, you're spraying that in the fall after the first hard frost. If you get a hard frost, and it's just like a sheet of white uh, one night, and the next day is um, 60 degrees, you could spray that day and not affect your natives. I usually like to wait a few frosts just to make sure, um, just to, I guess, ease my ease my worries. But wait a few frosts, spray. For us, it's probably late October or sometime in November. Um, and you're spraying that cool season grass when it's just it's green and everything else is pretty well dormant uh, or everything else... M- 95% of the other plants there most of the time are dormant. So you spray, it kills that plant, and the next growing season, four months later, five months later, you're going to see changes. That's how quickly it happens. Um, yeah. If you spray it in, let's say, March, uh, when most of all the other natives are dormant, and the cool season fescue or brome or orchard grass is really growing and you spray it, come back three weeks later and burn it, you're going to see changes within a month. As it's already greening up, you're going to see, whoa, my base changed here. The plant community's changed. And it's that quick. And I think that specifically with that type of management, the old field management, so I, I get this often too. This question is okay. Wow, I see this transition, but like, where are my shrubs? Where where are the diverse forbs? Like, I literally got lots and lots of ragweed. Well, of, of course, this is year one. Yep. the The change has happened. Yep. You've totally shifted plant communities from cool season non natives to annuals that are native. And if but you keep waiting, and you let time be on your side. We're, and when we're talking time, we're talking three, four years time frame. Those other plant communities are going to begin to develop and re, you know show themselves. You go from more annual base to more perennial, and then more woody encroachment into that old field. But you're going to see night and day differences in you know the spring green up period. Yeah. Night and day differences, differences in wildlife usage, absolutely. But you're really going to see even even a more change of this, let's say, really developed ideal old field stand likely or hopefully in a matter of three to four years. But the but, other thing is, too, though, how many times you see an old field that doesn't already have the woody plants like it, it, a lot of times you'll you'll even have them there like you don't really yeah. have to worry about the shrubs or the it could be just young oaks. And let's say or, Southern Iowa, you got shingle oaks that are scattered yep. around. Like, it's really not going to be bad. So if you do or a spraying and a burning in one month, 
oh my gosh, you're going to see changes so quickly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you'll or, see changes or... in the next hunting season. So like uh, as we when we so when we go through these, I want to say that how quickly are we going to see the changes with our eyes and see the plant communities change or the plant structure change and then also how many hunting seasons to see a change and oldfield management if you did it in the fall and then burned it in the spring or even if you just sprayed it in the fall and let it grow up the next spring the next hunting season you would see deer interacting and changing their patterns most likely to use that area more um, than than years prior so one hunting season and only a few months depending on when you spray it if you spray it in the fall it's going to be six seven months if you spray it in the spring it's going to be two months yep no it's fast so Not fast overnight but but in the in the form or in the term of growing seasons in relation to that it, it, it feels like it's overnight it's well that, th- it's that fast and two think about like uh, so I put in food plots in the middle of timber, going in the middle of a ridge, doze out and put in a two-grade food plot. That takes a little time for deer to find it, know what it is, not feel startled when they're walking through what used to be trees and boom, and now there's huge amounts of sunlight. It doesn't, they don't adapt to that any quicker than the changes that happened in old field management and some of these others will go through. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the other thing to keep in mind too is and then this kind of goes to why we're we're not huge on like fruit trees and planting mass producing trees is most times there's not a shortage of mass producing trees most times but two that took years and like 20 to 30 years for it to be a good producer where i can have so much value in a matter of a couple months 20 to 30 geez what are you planting i'm talking like if you planted mass producers yeah if you're planting just a a white oak yeah it's going to take a while you've planted like that you know that that oak that we found that hybrid that was a bur oak oh the the hybrid you're like whoa or even just the bur oak of theirs was like wow okay 10 years and you're going to have a a fairly attractive food source there um but still 10 years i mean 10 years compared to in the game plan yeah exactly exactly so um, next one, uh, I've got native landscapes. So let's go glade restoration. I just told you, we cut it in J- in January and February. We burned it in March, and now we have it. Doesn't even look like the same place. So that's what three months ago. Yeah. So <laughs> very quickly, and of course, Chad's been messaging, and he's like, the amount of deer browse in that area is unbelievable. And so mm-hmm. it's once again like, okay, you know, like the the deer utilizing it. We shot a turkey out of it. Chad shot his his first turkey yes. on opening day out of it. We never would have we would have not have done that last year. And I would, I would, I would, you know, <laughs> the, I will I will almost promise you the turkeys would not have been able to walk, navigate, come through the area that they did. Nor would we have been able to see them probably like yeah. we did. If the work had not been done, and yeah. then he harvests the bird opening day in there, yeah, in the fire, yeah. <laughs> and and how does that change deer hunting? You know, deer hunting might be a little different. Like I, I think we're going to see more deer there because it's quality habitat. I'm just not sure. You know, from the standpoint, 
it's a glade, so I don't look at glades as being like destination bedding. I think, and it's in an area of the farm that's going to be hard for us to hunt. But if somebody does a glade on their farm, glade restoration, 100% you're going to see more deer using that area because it has the the diversity of grasses and shrubs and plants to where deer are just going to feel more comfortable. So one growing season you're going to see, or one hunting season, if you hunted, didn't see much usage, you did the work, restored it, you'll see deer usage there the next fall. Um yeah. I, I would I would almost guarantee that. Plant response through the roof because if it's a glade, it's probably catching a lot of sun. Um, being a dry climate, it catches too much sun most of the time, so you're going to see huge changes pretty quickly. Woodland restoration. Um, you're going to see changes, but like we said earlier in the podcast, sun really depicts on how much change you'll see or how quickly you're going to see the change. I would say if you did a woodland restoration through your timber, you're going to see plant communities change, usually especially if you burn it. Um, If you did a woodland restoration, we typically like to cut and do all that stuff in dormant season, so anytime from November through, through March. But if you cut and then burn it, you're going to see changes that next growing season. Yeah. You're going to see, you're going to see, more herbaceous plants growing. You're going to see less leaves, more green, but it's, it's, again, it's, it's going to be less, less shocking, let's say, um, in comparison to, to maybe that glade, just because there still is canopy. There still is blocking the sunlight and that's totally fine in that unit because that's the design. We're not trying to make it a clear cut. We're trying to make it a woodland. Yeah. We're trying to make it a, a managed, uh, force with with holes in the canopy for you know spur on oak regeneration and, and I will probably guarantee you this this time frame if we had done a woodland restoration in the winter we'd be seeing a lot of oak sprouts already growing I mean they would be popping up everywhere yeah. um, those those are the conditions that they do really well in yeah. mixed sun and when you got mass producers around you yeah. I think that one of the other things, too, um, when we talk about woodland restoration is we recommend it a lot um, to to clients. And it's one of those things where it's like, no, it, we wouldn't want woodland restoration to be destination bedding where deer are just like, I'm bedding there. We wouldn't want that because it would be really hard to define where they're bedding. Now, they do bed there. But I think a mature buck does not choose woodland restoration to bed in if there's a really dense pocket, you know, right over the hillside or over in a spot yep. that we already know they like to bed. So that's kind of where I feel like we're really, really good at is identifying where deer already want to bed and making it really, really good. So not only is the terrain feature make it conducive for quality bedding, but now we've given them the plant communities, plant structure to make it even better for uh for bedding but then the woodland restoration is summertime bedding summertime forage winter forage ultimately just creating healthier deer um and making them feel more comfortable to maneuver through the property during daylight hours yeah yeah Yeah. and so uh, you'll see some changes but if you did the best woodland restoration uh in the neighborhood or in your county i don't know if you'd see It'd have to be pretty, the habitat would have to be pretty poor throughout 
the rest of the county or the neighborhood for the deer to just be flocking to it because you thinned a few trees. Well, um, I guess here's here's an example. If you do a, a woodland restoration on eight acres and you own 100 acres of closed canopy forest, you're going to see a lot more deer activity in there or evidence of deer activity from the browsing standpoint because the remainder of your woods and let's say the rest of the neighborhood is, is very poor quality. So you're going to see a big response from deer habitat, but they're going to be consuming so much of the vegetation that the, the plant response may seem less, but really that's just a product of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's kind of one of the big things uh, that, you know, with woodland. Savannah restoration, very similar to glade. Um, <laughs> uh, you really cut the canopy back. You burn it. It's a savanna, so it's it's got to be burned. That's a historical uh, disturbance to a savanna um, in, the, in the United States. And so you got to burn it, and whenever you do, you're going to see changes. If you do the cutting and burning in the dormant season, you'll see major changes just a few months after the burn. Um, and, uh, like, uh, it's going to be pretty stinking incredible. Um, so it happens once again, less than 12 months, less than a year. You're going to see changes deer, deer, uh, usage from one hunting season to the next. Like if, if it was pretty low quality and you cut in a, a major Savannah and you burned it, you're going to see deer utilizing that area more during the fall than the, than the year previously. You'll see that happen because there's going to be treetops. There's going to be young plants. There's going to be young, uh, woody brows that's available. Like overall, it's just going to be a change that you can see in less than 12 months from both hunting and plant observation. Yes. Without a doubt. TSI, I'm going to say very similar to woodland restoration. Depends on how aggressive you get with it. Depends on the plant communities that you're cutting or the tree species that you're cutting. If you're TSI in a whole bunch of ironwood or musclewood or maples um, and the habitat is very poor through the uh, through the neighborhood, you're going to see changes in less than 12 months. And from one hunting season to the next, you'll see those changes. Correct. Um, as far as your eyes go, you know, if you go north and you do heavy TSI, I'm going to say you're going to see changes. As soon as you start cutting, you're going to see treetops on the ground, sunlight Overnight. coming through. You're going to see deer coming in the next night or that night. Um, yep. So you're going to see this. It all depends on the neighborhood and how low the habitat is. But m- most habitat's pretty poor. So if you do the actual work, you're going to see changes overnight. And you're going to see plant communities change within the growing season. And, and another thing that we could experience too is a, a potential bump in uh, mass-producing trees as well. The very you know the course based on the growing seasons and cycles. But if you do TSI, that's another thing that I would be looking to monitor as well. Okay, are these trees? They seem like they're producing more now that I've given them more resources, gotten rid of all the weeds around them. Um, do I have an herbaceous layer now, as well as during the fall? How's that mass production looking? Yeah, but you sure. could you could see you could see that in in a matter of a growing season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bedding thickets, <laughs> temporary forest <laughs> yes. openings. How quickly am I going to see the changes overnight from the beginning of when the clock strikes noon and you start cutting, and when you shut it off at one o'clock? 
that's how quickly you'll see the changes. Um, it's and ultimately, very drastic. if you did that during hunting season, I would say you would see deer pattern shift within the week. You would see deer travel change within the week. Um, that's yeah. how much young forest, if you're cutting in a, uh, an area in the middle of a forest uh, and creating that dense cover, you're going to see deer in, in less than seven days. And so if you're going from one season to the next, that's why we recommend the bedding thickets so, so much. And one of the top things that the landowners do that we work with is because it's going to change your hunting. It's going to change your deer observations if you hunt it correctly. And ultimately, it's change that you can see happen as as quickly as you can run a chainsaw. It is incredible, incredible, the overnight difference. Obviously, you're, you're putting a huge hole, acres um, hole in the canopy and getting so much more light putting resources right there on the ground available to deer as cover and food. But then that response, I'm going back to a one, one site that's not far away from um, your guys' family farm that worked last year, cutting stuff in March and April and back August 1st. And I mean, we're talking re-sprouts, the height, the hip, belly button, chest high, and the amount of foraging opportunities and deer readily utilizing it from scat and from all the browse was unreal. And that, that, that that was a a four month time frame of just going and doing the work and watching happen. And it definitely operated that first hunting season as a well-defined bedding area with the amount of re sprouts and canopy structures that were down on the ground. I mean, it was unreal. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's there's a reason why we love it so much, and that's 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 it. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's sure. Can you put let's say a mineral site out on a property and get a picture of a deer that night sniffing it and licking it? Yes, sure, you can overnight change yep but it's not how long lasting change and and if you put the mineral out let's just say you dumped it out in november would you see the same attraction in november let's say that you do in june no a lot of deer a lot of mineral sites don't even get utilized during the fall um and so especially mature deer that we're chasing like i don't know of many people that set over a mineral lick in the middle of the fall now sure if it's an already good bottleneck yeah, it's you know that that works, but if you just dump a bag of mineral, I don't know of many guys that do that as a hunting strategy. So it's it's kind of apples to oranges in the fact of like, and guess what? <laughs> it's not food, and it's not cover. Yeah, and it's not even something that they're really needing during that time of the year. So yeah, the same thing with the food plot. Just because you plant the food plot doesn't mean that they're going to be there during daylight hours. Um, and so That's like, the biggest complaint of food plots. Yeah. That they're not. <laughs> and even when they do, they're on the other end and you can't shoot them. Um, yeah. so yeah. Uh, next up edge feathering. I mean, as quick as you can run the chainsaw, that's as quick as you'll see the results. Um, if you do it correctly, let's just say you did it in July and you used our, our kind of closed edge feathering, open edge feathering, you would see. From one hunting season to the next, you would see changes in deer travel patterns 
in one yes. growing season the next, you would most likely, depending on the seed source there, you would probably see more usage out of cottontail rabbits or other oh, yeah. uh, game birds or or small, or, you know, songbirds. Um, fawning cover, possibly even if you did the edge feather in the winter. You might see fawns laying in there. You might find turkeys nesting in there. Like, you're going to see it in less than 12 months, not just from deer travel and hunting, but also the other wildlife utilizing it. And, of course, you're going to see changes in the plant community in one growing season. Overnight. I, Overnight. I just I love, that. I love that practice. I really do. Now, it's, it's, it's so impactful. Then the last one that, that we recommend so much is at the bottom of the list because seeing the change, this one can be a little overwhelming. Do you know what it is, Matt? I'm the one with the notes this week. Trying to think. Uh, no, I don't. Invasive species management. Oh, yep. You know, if you've got, let's just say, Japanese stiltgrass, yeah, you go and spray it, put a pre-emergent down in the spring, you're going to see it, the plant communities change that year. But you're going to have to come back. It's not a once and done. You're going to have to stay on top of it. Cerisa lespediza, you know, if you kill it in the middle of the growing season, you're going to have to, you're probably not going to see the plant response happen until the next year, almost eight months later or ten months later. Um, If if your forest is chocked full of bush honeysuckle, um, you're going to have a little while to first kill it, spray it, and then you're not probably, you're most likely not going to get all of them, so there's still going to be residual that you're going to have to address. And um, now, if you get aggressive, you can see a change in 12 months, but it's Without not going to be that, it's not going to be that change that happens where it's like, oh, wow, I killed that, and now there's milkweed growing everywhere. Like, Well, here's the thing I see a lot of. In, in the really bad infested areas, if things are growing so thick, like multiple rows, bush honeysuckle, autumn olive, and you remove it, some of it, although it's poor, poor choice of cover, it could be the only cover that deer have. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of has so a little bit of a negative it, effect sometimes. Right. But for, that's, for a that's period. Not, right. A short period of time. But we know that we can create more shrubs. We know what to do to accomplish that. Um, yeah, it's just like a false sense of reality, like that 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 tree, that shrub, that, that non-native honeysuckle is doing something good and positive. Yeah. Eh, yeah. It's not. we got to get rid of it. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of uh, what I wanted to talk about this week and, and really try to change the whole – idea that food plots and mineral and trail cameras are quick and all the other stuff takes a while to see the response when it's really far from the truth like you can see right. major changes really quickly if you're utilizing the chainsaw and drip torch um, and it's not only going to be changing plant communities but ultimately your hunting your hunting observations as well and the amount of deer you see or whatever um, it's just it's so much better than just your normal food plot, trail camera, mineral, supplemental feeder program. Um, you know, so, you can't you can't <clears throat> bottle up that uh, edge feathering or bedding thickets or glade restoration. You know, it's priceless. That's right. It literally, it literally is priceless. And 
and and the turnaround time frame um, is is really small. And, and I hope other people are, are realizing this too. When we're talking about you know acres that are impacted, so so we're talking large volume or, or areas that are impacted positively in a quick manner. It's not just like a mineral site that, that we're talking square feet here kind of thing. Yeah. We're talking big, large scale areas that, that are positively impacted and changed overnight. And that should be encouraging to everyone who's like, is this going to make a difference? How long do I have to wait? Like, can I, can I experience something in the next five years? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of the pictures that we share are from one growing season to the next growing season or from one day's worth of work. There's something positive to be taken from that. That's right. Yeah. Um, And hopefully people can start grasping if they haven't figured it out by now. Listen to this. If they've been with us from the beginning, oh, man, guys, uh, re-listen to them. <laughs> um, yeah. it, for new listeners, guys, you know, this we're here each and every week trying to help you improve your property with the least amount of dollars involved in the quickest turnaround possible. And, and practices like these are how we get there, not from uh, a simple food plot or a, a supplemental feed or things like that. This is... These practices, edge feathering, TSI, burning, invasive species removal, glade restoration, temporary forest openings, um, are all how we're going to get there. So, um, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, Matt, safe travels. Enjoy your time in Virginia. Uh, We'll be headed to NDA's um, habitat module with Onyx and NDA this, this weekend. Um, gonna it's going to be a fun time. Event. I'm looking forward to, uh, out of all of it, I'm looking forward to hanging out with Mike the most, um, the landowner. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's going to be a good time. So we'll see you soon, Matt. Totally. And, uh, listeners, we'll right. see you here next week. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you.